This is the one with a kaleidoscopic castle. Lord Bucketheads the third and fourth. A TARDIS information system. Hogwash. A transport of delight. And a bunch of noisy washerwomen who are into haberdashery. What is this, a holiday? It's called Castrovalva. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thalent, Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Some Tarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Pass. How right you are, my friend. Who is this mystery voice <laughs> from the ether? Why, it's Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon. You are quite correct. It is none but I, Jim, <laughs> the mysterious voice from the other side of Skype. <laughs> of Skype, that's right. And as you rightly pointed out, I am Leon, and you are Podcast Land, and we are delighted to be talking to you this evening because tonight we will be treating your earballs to our review of the very first of the Davison era, Castro Valva. Holy moly. Yeah, those molies be holy, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna give this the full first doctor appearance treatment, yada yada yada, obviously. We'll get into details, but high level. How do you feel about this? I'm I'm particularly curious about how you feel about this, Jim, because Davison is your doctor, Nespa. I mean well, I don't call him my doctor. I'm oh. I've I've <laughs> like I don't know what the rules what rules we go by, but you know, I was alive for most of First for most of his. I don't know. Okay, I entirely retract my statement. <laughs> I, I probably, if classic era say Sylvester McCoy is my doctor. We had this conversation no, in the really. bonus. How have I already forgotten this? <laughs> How drunk <laughs> am I? We've only just started this episode. <laughs> we may have met for a drink pre-recording Podcast Land. <laughs> <laughs> Davison, to me, I associate with my older brother. I have more awareness of Davison than I have of Colin Baker, which is weird because I must have seen Colin Baker when I was younger as well. Sure. Yeah. So I'm super intrigued and so far enjoying what what I'm seeing. Okay. All right. Without giving too much away. How about yourself? Well, (laughs) I've enjoyed what I've seen of Davison so far, but I'm hoping that the rest of the Davison era might have a little... I don't want to be mean in any way, because I know that this episode or this serial is very dear to a lot of people, but I'm hoping that the rest of the Davison era has more to offer than this serial did. Perhaps particularly in the companion department. (laughs) But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. How about we summarize this serial for Podcast Land in a little bite-sized chunk of who? That sounds marvellous. Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. 
bite sized chunk of who. The doctor is a bit unsteady after his regeneration and needs the help of his three companions. Yes, three companions to get back to the TARDIS and rest up a bit in the zero room. A nice neutral space that's not troubled by the normal comings and goings of the rest of the universe. One small problem, the master managed to grab Adric before he made it back to the TARDIS and is planning to use his immense mathematical genius, well, he does have that badge after all, to lay yet another trap for the Doctor. A thwarted attempt at destroying the TARDIS and its crew by sending them to the point of the Big Bang leads them on a mission to get Doc to Castrovalva so he can get the nice and boring rest he needs to finish his regeneration. Uh, Doc still requires all the help he can get, though, so Tegan and Nyssa are left having to literally carry the burden of responsibility and get Doc to yet another mountain castle. It's obviously not going to be plain sailing, though, when some tribal-looking folk show up and cause everyone to get separated. Now the TARDIS crew needs to reunite, find Adric, and work out what cunning plan the Master obviously has up his very well-tailored sleeves. Beast out over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? So yeah, it's a master serial. Everything about that beast gal screams super duper interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, apart from the the Adric references, maybe. <laughs> no, sure. I, I I I am actually kidding now. This is a relatively Adric light serial, though we should say. Yeah, it's true. Adric being stuck in the the master's web for most of it. Caught in a trap. So we do need to talk about Davison. We need to talk about the Fifth Doctor. But if we start with the Fifth Doctor, we might stay with the Fifth Doctor. So (laughs) (laughs) shall we maybe just put a pin in the Fifth Doctor for now, return to him a little bit later? Yeah, I think that's that's a reasonable tack to take. I mean, we're probably going to like sidle along with the Fifth Doctor through every other conversation anyway. That's very true. So where would you like to start? Um, I actually don't really have any starting points. I know you will do though I do have <laughs> so a question. why don't you pick them? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a number of questions in fact <laughs> of course you do let's go with one of those okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's a question. Did the master expect his initial plan to fail all along? Ah, yes, I had this thought. (laughs) (laughs) Because he has this very, very elaborate plan all ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, when he... So plan one being, I'm going to send the TARDIS crew back to the Big Bang. They will be part of that explosion and... They will be destroyed. Yeah. That didn't work. All right, no problem. I'm going to put my plan B into action, which is this civilization I have built from scratch (laughs) (laughs) and who have been around for 500 years. (laughs) And the reason for that is that I want to look the doctor in the eye before he dies. But he wouldn't have had that pleasure had the doctor been sent into the Big Bang, for example. And clearly, a lot of effort was put into building Castrovalva. Yeah, I mean, I have multiple questions which i probably can't formulate into actual sentences of what the hell the master really created with castrovalva like did this thing exist for a day did it exist for 500 years somewhere in between it could be anything it could just be a program that the master had in his tardis and he funneled that program through adric let's put a pin in that as well and uh, <laughs> and then it just creates it from scratch so like he will create a whole history just by pressing a button i mean in essence this is the serial that proves simulation theory <laughs> you know we might just be all, all of us listening to this podcast in fact all of you out there in podcast land you might just be part of the master 
master's dastardly plans. Yep. And to be honest, based on 2020, it's all starting to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you think that the master created everything in there? Well, I mean, let's not give him too much credit. It was a fairly small castle. <laughs> That's true. But he has a character. He plays the character. He does so super well, by the way. Uh, it, yeah. Ainley. He, he portrays the... I've forgotten his name now already, but he the plays portrait- the old dude. The what, sorry? The Portrieve. The Portrieve. Uh, by the way, I did not recognize him. Not until the very end did I did, did I realize, like, oh, holy moly, that's, that's clearly the master. And I think that's only because he was standing up straight. He was no longer relying on his cane. Yeah. I accidentally spoiled myself. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, I went to Wikipedia to, to I just wanted to check if it was Michael Sheard who is the I think we've had him in Doctor Who before. I need to double check this. Yeah, the name um, rings a bell. Yes. He was in Period of Mars, he was in the Invisible Enemy, third Doctor Mind of Evil, the first Doctor of the Ark. Like he's been all over the place in Doctor Holy Who. Holy moly. But he was also he was one of the admirals in Empire Strikes Back. He was Mr. Bronson in Grange Hill. <laughs> like <laughs> He's not playing evil bastards, basically. So this, I don't know, this this one wasn't an evil bastard. Yeah, but instead um, you saw that he was played by a Neil chap, is that is? No, I, I basically, I went I went to look up if it was Michael Sheard and then accidentally saw Anthony Ainley being listed as the master slash, slash the portrait. Oh, Dagnabbit. I tried very hard to watch it as if, okay, maybe it was just like, this guy's such a good actor. Um <laughs> Can we get him to play another role when he's not playing the master? <laughs> I tried very hard to convince myself that, but I always had like, oh no, this is gonna, this is gonna. Oh, Dagnavis! I'm so sorry. They should really add massive spoiler warnings to pieces of information like that on on Wikipedia. But did yeah. you notice that the Portrieve is credited as? I did not, by the way. I read this in trivia, but the Portrieve is credited as Neil Toynay, which is an anagram of Tony Ainley. No, I didn't spot that either. I, I read a similar thing that, yeah, to keep it a, a mystery, they credited him as someone else. Well, regardless, Ainley does play the Portrieve. And he does. the people Very living in Castrovalva, they know the Portrieve. They've lived with the Portrieve for a long time. <laughs> So this leads they? me to believe that this is... Oh, I see what you're saying. So maybe he's just, like, programmed the whole backstory. And he just steps in at the last minutes just yeah, as exactly. the Doctor arrives. Yeah, that, that's, I guess that's possible. But everything else... Like, I mean, has he... Cre- Shardavan, for example, the librarian. Here's a, here's a sub... Here's a, a follow-on question from that, then. Was Shardavan actually dabbling in a fiction project on the side? Like, was he moonlighting as a novelist? <laughs> and if so, did the master write his novel? <laughs> because let's face it, the master has written a thirteen-volume history on Castrovalva. Yeah, I don't, like they try to throw in some like maths things in here. I mean, they talk about recursion, which I actually don't know from a mathematical point, but I know very well from a programming point. Um, well, I say very well. It's always a mind fuck. And <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about something that changes itself through recursion. Yeah, that's not fun. But I did not understand what they were saying they created it. And it used to like, like that's the other thing. It's like Castrovalva at the start I thought was the planet. And then we have them landing on Castrovalva and Tegan going, oh, I've seen Castrovalva. It's over there. I was like, didn't you just land on Castrovalva? <laughs> I was absolutely convinced of the exact same thing as well. Yeah, it, it really seemed like the way everything collapsed at the end, that it was just that castle on the mountaintop. 
so he yeah he he didn't have to create a whole planet he just created a tiny microcosm of of history and but uh, it's it's very elaborate but was it just kind of like a seed generated thing and it's like okay we run this simulation from here and we get to the point where there are some people living in a castle and they have faith in a character and i'm gonna then jump in as that character and Maybe. somehow yeah. their permutation has the the shardavan or whatever he's called going ah I'm, I'm slightly distrusting of the world i live in but i i like this distrust i've developed enough that i might write a novel about it <laughs> <laughs> But all of this is still just part part of the simulation that exists before anyone you know jumps in and experiences it. I don't I don't know. I mean, there's another possibility as well, and that is that Adric, in fact, created everything. Ah, no, that's a, that's a good point actually. Yeah, maybe those sort of things as. Adric's influence because Adric is being used as a computer sort of yeah exactly he's so good at maths (laughs) (laughs) he is better not only than the master but than the master's TARDIS Excuse me, while I just laugh for the next hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't see. I, I don't see the Ainley Master sporting a nice maths badge. So, <laughs> well done, Adric. I think it's pretty cool though because it is rooted in the same technology that we learn about in Logopolis. It's the uh, the block transfer computation. The whole like, hey, you use maths to create matter to create stuff. And yeah. but here it's you cre- you use maths to create a whole civilization, uh, and the way that you get away with it is you leave the women woefully underwritten. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like the worker bees in the heart. <laughs> This is meant to be this perfect utopian society and all the women do is they cackle in the middle of the square and either sew stuff or wash clothes. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know, it's I found it a really weird serial from that point of view. Okay, let's let's do the the feminism. Yeah, let's let's do that reading. That's a that's like, a very interesting point here. Cuz um the first episode so Marie actually watched most of the first episode mm-hmm. and didn't see the rest of the serial. So hadn't so Marie never experienced Kashavala. She never saw the washerwomen, <laughs> which obviously then would have kind of blown apart any kind of feminist sentiment, I think. But the first episode in the serial, you do get a, a lot of Tegan and Nyssa. Yeah. And I, I I had to kind of like like Marie I think scoffed at one point that they were struggling to do anything in the TARDIS. It's like, oh, we've hit a roadblock, we're gonna have to go and like get the doctor. We're gonna have to wake him up from his zero room nap or you know, this this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And Marie was just like jumping on it as like, oh my god, this is such bad writing for women. It's like, no, this is incredible. There are two women on screen talking to each other. Yeah. Exactly. This is so far, like high bar for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're sadly, largely talking about a man, but yeah, they're they're getting a lot of stuff done. They're being uh, super resourceful on screen. They are saving the day. Yeah. But can I also take this opportunity to say, and this has nothing to do with the gender of these companions, they are, I don't feel like they're doing a great job. (laughs) I think possibly the writing, certainly the acting is just not great. uh, (laughs) I think it's really, it feels like underserved. 
is, is the sentiment I got from it. Like, I don't know what they're trying to do with the character of Tegan, to be honest, at all. She's generally just kind of floating around in scenes, given random lines that don't do anything, talking to herself a lot, which the Doctor does as well. And so you can just kind of go, well, that's just what Doctor Who does from time to time. And then, yeah, occasion, occasionally interjects as like a really strong kind of like, no, I've got to look after the doctor. He's my responsibility type thing. And it's like, I, I was just like going to single out that scene as well. Are you thinking about the, I mean, it's almost like a funereal <laughs> procession when they're carrying the box. I wanted to single out that exact scene because it's a scene in which Tegan is contributing almost nothing, but she's spending a lot of time acting. So there's the, she has this confrontation with the librarian. The librarian says, I'll carry that if you don't mind. He carries it. She accepts that. Cut to, she runs after him, goes, I'll carry that, thank you very much. He accepts (laughs) that. She carries it. That's... That scene serves no purpose except to give her a couple of lines. And yeah, <laughs> so why? <laughs> you, sorry, you're absolutely right. It seems as though she has no real purpose in this dynamic. Nissa's more interesting. Yeah, Nissa. Do- I mean, so we, we'll come to Nissa in a second if you don't mind. Oh yeah, sorry, I sorry. Wanna... I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Go for it. No, 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 no. It's all the same conversation, dude. <laughs> <laughs> But like the end thing that they do with Tegan is remove the only thing that seems like she did to kind of <laughs> contribute to the storyline, which yeah. was land the TARDIS. Like, yeah, wrongly or rightly, she was shown to be landing the TARDIS in I know, episode two, is it? Yeah. Or maybe episode one, I forget. And that's just taken away from her at the end. It's like, oh, no. That was Adric under the control of the master was controlling the TARDIS or had pre-programmed it or something. Yeah, you know, exactly, it's just yeah. like, wow, yeah, okay. Now we've just got nothing assigned <laughs> in the plus column for Tegan. Well done, writers. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one that really annoys me. Sorry, this is actually Tegan and Nyssa. They've carried the dock to the cliff face. They hide the dock's box, his like his his life casket. They walk up to the mountain face. They go, oh, there's no door. Y- y- yeah, no shit, Tegan. They climb <laughs> up a little bit. They go, this is a whole mountain. <laughs> they climb back down. <laughs> they go back to yep. the box. Utterly pointless scene. And yeah, I feel but... like it's only there to give them a couple of lines. I feel like it's more, well, it felt like more than a couple of lines. So it feels like half of episode two is just superfluous. We go from point A to point B to go back to point A. There is more walking through forests in this episode than in the Lord of the Rings series. (laughs) (laughs) And also, in fact, a lot of slow pans across nature, you know, a lot of brooks. So maybe it's it's not a case of them wanting to overcompensate for the characters not being fleshed out yet. I'm I'm sure they will be, by the way. I, I have a feeling that both Tegan and Nyssa are fan favorites. I think people love them. So I, I can only imagine that they will get more agency and they will be more resourceful in future. But maybe it's that this serial is sort of one episode too long. Yeah, maybe. It definitely struck me that this felt like a serial of bad edits as well, like from the script, perhaps. I found the, I mean, like you, your opening question is like the whole idea of ca- the setup of Castro Alpha is just <laughs> insane after we've had the first episode is like sending the TARDIS to the big band. Yeah. Like that's, that's the cliffhanger of the first episode is oh my god we're gonna get exploded in the big bang yeah and then that's oh no, huge you, you end up going hang on this series called castrovelva <laughs> what the 
other folks cast Revolver. There's a whole plan B. It's way more elaborate than plan A. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty weird. It is weird. And I think this is not entirely dissimilar from what we were discussing in Logopolis. So this is written by the same chap, Christopher Bidmead. Chris, you old legend. Who, <laughs> who wrote three serials. We discussed this in our Logopolis review as well. He wrote Logopolis, Castrovalva, and I want to say Frontios. Uh, by the way, I still haven't listened to the New To Who review with, with Chris Bidmead. It's, it's on my to-do list. I imagine that Christopher Bidmead is an incredibly interesting chap. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe I read this because I had a look around just sort of IMDb'd and, and TARDIS wiki and, you know, yada, yada, yada before we press record. And um, if I'm not mistaken, he also wrote the novelization of this one. So it's another one of these scenarios where he clearly has a way, way richer world in his mind, you know, than we see on screen. Yeah. And I wonder if there's just so much more stuff on the cutting room floor. I think quite probably. Which is, I mean, it's weird when it feels like there's filler as well. <laughs> mm, you know, but absolutely. Like if you're if you're shooting on location, like maybe it's easier to film some people walking around than the elaborate plot that you had to cut out. You know, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it's that the plan A part of it was so incredibly complex that that was a let's say two to three episode arc in and of itself. They cut that entirely. Yeah. But plan B was never going to be as elaborate as plan A because plan B never is as elaborate as plan a that's why it's plan b otherwise it would be plan a (laughs) but now they're stuck with four episodes and they have to flesh that out with just plan b (laughs) do you know what they do a lot of before we get to plan b though they seriously flaunt the tardis oh they do yes and it looks incredible does it not i yeah i enjoyed uh spending a lot of time inside the tardis and i mean it's it's weird that it looks nice because it's mostly just grey walls and corridors. And yeah, stuff. I mean, it's clearly like the same three or four walls that they're just moving around a set somewhere at the BBC. <laughs> but it feels way bigger now than it ever did before, I think. Yeah, I think they, they seem to have kind of settled into it. I, I don't know if they're going to carry this on, but I think for the last few serials, uh, maybe not every single serial, but yeah, we've established that you can have a semi-adventure in the TARDIS. You can go yeah. through different rooms and all this kind of stuff. Which I don't recall happening. I think it probably happened before, but definitely not very often. And now this, we, we're kind of hitting a stride where it's like, no, we can we can do a lot in the TARDIS. We don't yeah. have to land on the planet before the story can start. You know? I think this is the most we've ever had of it, in fact. I mean, to date. We had, uh, what's it called? The, the Edge of Discretion, which was solely set in the TARDIS with the first Doctor. But that was set in two or three rooms. And that's it. Right. They don't walk around massive corridors. There's no, you know, the zero room. There's not another room that looks completely different and there's not that weird there's in this one we get to see like it's a pillar inside <laughs> like a like a half walled off area inside the giant atrium like it's huge it, it really feels like there's there's a lot of scope to it and there's a cricket room <laughs> there's a cricket room <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, this is one of our little skirting into yes. the doctor <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, wasn't 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 quite sure about how conveniently placed his new outfit was. <laughs> it's just there. <laughs> I do like when you when you segue into ah, oh, and here's a cricket bat. Oh, and what's this room? Ah, oh, the cricket room. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cricket room where we also have clothes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So we've seen a lot of the TARDIS. We've had a lot of meandering around a, a forest before we've even gotten to to Plan B. 
how... If we stick with the companions for a little bit, how do you feel about how they're dealing with this whole situation? They are having to collaborate a lot, and these are two characters who have literally just met. Because Nissa <laughs> yeah. was just ham-fisted in at the end of the last serial. One of them is a regular human uh, from 1981 who's just seen a dude regenerate. She's seen a dude ostensibly die and <laughs> be yeah. reincarnated in front of her eyes. This, this I think, is my biggest beef oh here we go how the companions like are in this serial is there's there's yeah i i can't remember actually what they did at the end of logopolis i I don't think there was a lot of kind of like shock and oh my god what the hell happening i think they just were too busy doing the watcher effect of him like going in between the regeneration yeah Um, so yeah the companions in this serial just start by picking up a guy who looks completely different to the guy that was just there and they seconds. don't know about regeneration. No, they have no idea. Well, no, Nissa does seem to know about it. She seems to know a lot about everything, actually. Oh, that's true. Which I am more accepting of, of her knowing that kind of stuff than of Adric, because we don't know a lot about Nissa, whereas Adric we spent a serial with, and he was just a fuckwit. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly he's just absorbed all the knowledge in the universe over a couple of serials. Yeah, I know um, that this really bugs you. Do you think, though, I'm sorry to cut you off, but do you think that maybe he spent a lot of time in the TARDIS, perhaps between serials, just reading up on stuff? Like, did he read up on the Time Lords, for example? Does I he mean, now know about all yeah, that stuff? Yeah, he must have done. Like, he, he's become, and it's I, I think it's kind of, like, referenced directly in this serial. He's become, like, the long-term companion who knows the Doctor. yeah. Which is super weird. But like I've said before, like I actually kind of look like who he is now. I don't like how they've ham-fisted him into this like part of his character. Like they just basically skipped the entire arc bit and just jumped to the end. <laughs> but actually, I yeah, I kind of kind of liking Adric. And it's interesting then to have two sort of new characters. One of which they are just saying is a very knowledgeable and capable individual, Nissa. Um, and we have no evidence of the contrary, so you can kind of just go, okay, right, she knows all this stuff. One of which, uh, yeah, is an Earthling from 1981 who should just be going, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, she uh, should be, like, non-stop <laughs> shitting herself <laughs> in this entire serial. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there is not enough of what the fuck coming from Tekken, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, nor is there awe. Because no. either I feel like either she should be just in, in complete shock because she very recently found out that her aunt was murdered and she's been sort of ostensibly kidnapped by an alien and she's being hunted by another alien being who is introduced to her as one of the most evil characters in the entire universe. But she's also not going, this is amazing, I've never been, you know, off the Earth. I've never been off planet, and now for the first time I'm seeing lots of cool places. This is incredible. You know, she, there's never that element of awe. No, not at all. And one of the two is missing. I, d- I don't care which one it is, but I feel like one of the two needs to be transplanted into the serial for it to make sense. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of a shame because they were sort of setting up that, you know, Nissa is knowledgeable about stuff. But possibly not like super, super proactive. And Tegan seems to be a bit more gung ho, but doesn't have the knowledge to kind of act upon. And so working together, they were getting shit done. But in that in that kind of um, mindset as well is like, why can't Tegan be like looking at this? 
new civilization and going like oh you know this is an alien world how did this evolve outside of the earth like you know are there, are there you know you know basically asking nissa about the universe like are there sentient beings on multiple planets like just being really inquisitive about stuff or, yeah exactly this is a whole uh, new yeah. world also it seems the other companion's point of view of tegan is almost unbelievably altruistic because I, I mean i pride myself in being the kind of person who gets along pretty well with with other people I, i've got a bunch of colleagues uh, at work i'm not going out for drinks after work with all of them but i get along with all of them but if i were either nissa or adric i would seriously be conspiring with the other to leave tegan behind like there, there's <laughs> there are just so many yeah no shit tegan moments in this serial where everyone else surely should just be looking at each other and going like oh yeah no no she's from 1981 she <laughs> she's from some backwater planet that hasn't invented the team at yet uh, and uh, you know something to that effect yeah although to be fair they should be doing that to adric as well <laughs> <laughs> that's true I'm looking forward to the next serial where we have more of Adric because I'm just assuming that he will stumble across a watermelon and then just constantly be walking around with it under his arm, cradling <laughs> it like a prized possession. Just like, mm, this is my watermelon. <laughs> I, I'm fully accepting it will be a plot pointer somehow. Like, I'm amazed that his, his badge for mathematical excellence came around again and became a major <laughs> plot point. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> Um, just hovering around the everything just being ripped away from Tegan thing, though. I have yeah. a note, actually, from episode one. Like, episode one foreshadowed the fact that Tegan is not going to be allowed to be the navigator. Like, which, I guess... Oh, or pilot. I guess, I guess it was more pilot. So, yeah, the, so the Doctor at one point talks about the companions and gives them all a role. And he says, Tegan is the coordinator. I mean, middle management, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what... what this, uh, like known for her technical skills uh-huh. and then Adric is the navigator yeah he's clearly yeah yeah you're right he, he's piloting it yeah which turns out to be 100% the truth obviously but at that point you know we don't know anything and it, this is in the middle of Doc trying to like come to terms with everything still a bit discombobulated and you probably don't think too much of it but you're right Okay, here's another Tegan navigating stuff scene that it didn't annoy me. It made me chuckle a little bit at how marvelously shit it was. It's at the very start of part one where Tegan steals an ambulance and drives maybe 30 meters. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What a grand escape. (laughs) I mean, it probably would have been better to whack the ambulance in reverse. (laughs) <laughs> and freak out everyone who was holding on to Adric, and then they could have all legged it to the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> How do you feel about the master, then? The master, eh? Yeah. Really desperately trying not to get into Fifth Doctor territory just yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. I'm not sure if I felt like this was the best the master can be. Okay, I think that's probably fair. I, I, okay, no, no, let's, let's bucket this into some some kind of like pros and cons and, and things that were interesting. I don't know. I think I liked that he had kidnapped Adric. There was this weird web thing. He's using Adric to generate a castle and people. I mean, that's fucked up crazy banana shit. Yeah. Uh, 
is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the whole I need to see Doc before he dies to kind of lord it all over him and going a bit, yeah, insane, trying to break into the Zero Cabinet. And then at the end, he just gets basically mobbed and we, we don't know if he's been killed or not i don't know that was yeah i mean he's he's stuck inside castrovalva as it implodes and yeah clearly he's gonna return but yeah well yeah. <laughs> i mean spoilers we're time travelers effectively in this this scenario because we know the future <laughs> yeah <laughs> true he didn't seem quite as dastardly as he has done in the past and maybe part of that is because he gets so ridiculously desperate at the end. Oh, and also, his plan is so easily undone. All you need is basically to bump the outside of the web thing, tear apart a tapestry and swing into the web thing from the rafters, and you've destroyed it. You've undone his entire plan. Yeah, but it's... Hmm, that thing there. Yeah. Is that because he decided to put the web into Castrovalva? Because we see a scene of Adric in the web in the Master's TARDIS. And I yeah. didn't feel like that was a projection. I felt like he was there. I agree with you. So at some point, that all moves to the tapestry? You're right. I hadn't thought about that. You're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about that, to be honest. <laughs> I, to be honest, the tapestry to me was just like, uh, what? Okay, some weird tapestry TV. Great. Yeah, I might not subscribe to that channel, but okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was that? The doctor, the first time that he looks at it, he says he recognizes it as technology. I can't remember what it is, he says. But he recognizes it, it, recognizes it as some form of technology and the chap, the, I mean, the master in his guise, the portrieve or whatever it was. Portrieve, yeah. He just says, oh, we don't know what it is. It's just some remnant of old old civilizations. You know, uh, our forebears, our ancestors invented it. What? Like, what is its purpose? Why even invent it? Like, why build it? <laughs> no one ever looks at it except for the master. <laughs> yeah. And when it does something, the master's not allowed to look at it. Like, it's, I feel like if the master's going to invent no, something not, but... that, it's not like a security camera, basically. No, no, but he, he in fact shows it to, I think, the doc. Yeah. Or to, or to, is it the doc? Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like, oh, look, showing... at, look at the stuff that your companions did. Yeah. Which is bonkers. Like, why does he just leave it in the TARDIS? Just, it's it's like, almost like he's why, taunting why, the doctor, though, isn't it? I he's like, oh, that. your companion, the one that you lost, is so close to you. He's so close and you can't get him. It's like he's playing with him because he's a devious bastard. I love him. <laughs> But he's not quite devious enough. He's a Scooby-Doo villain in this one. Almost yeah. literally, because he is unmasked at the end. And I think, he, yeah, because it's... it's um, like I, I can't truly talk about this because I did spoil it for myself. But I feel like the unmasking comes from nowhere. The whole explanation for a Castro Valva and the fact that it was created... Like, we... We're kind of aware of things like Adric gets projected at various points, I think. Yeah. And like we, we know that the master is using Adric to do things. But I don't think that that's the like master spy. projecting Adric. I think that's Adric being so clever that he's able to project himself. He gets himself out of this simulation or rather he puts himself inside the matrix that he creates you know yeah so yeah when we see adric speaking in the mirror to nissa yeah that's that's adric breaking free of the control a bit yeah but exactly. we've previously seen the master using adric 
as a way of spying on the TARDIS, the, the Doctor's TARDIS. Yes, that's true. So How that works, I don't know. I mean, the same kind of rules of, I don't know, <laughs> he's acting as some kind of antenna, basically. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, like it's, it's setting all, all that kind of stuff up, but I just don't feel like this random guy in this town stroke castle to then turn out to be the master it doesn't yeah it feels like pulling a mask off someone who you had no reason to suspect they were just a character in the story (laughs) yeah which is probably how every scooby-doo episode feels (laughs) as i recall yeah pretty spot on (laughs) it's literally at the end of it they just rolled a dice and it's just like okay it was the guy we introduced third yes that one (laughs) but conceptually the master's plan or you know what it's not even the master's plan conceptually this serial is really quite something i like the simulation theory aspect of this and i I like that there are people in there who are spouting gobbledygook but to them it makes perfect sense but they are so intellectual themselves that they're able to recognize that there's something on a philosophical level that doesn't quite resonate with them I, i think that's very very cool and it's interesting to just place the blame for that in the master's hands if you will Mm. yeah i I mean i do kind of like that idea i think i think this this, the real sad point is it's massively undone by the fact that there's a plan a (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean if they could get to castrovalva in episode one that would be great oh sorry what was that yeah i was like it's because plan a is nothing like plan b as well it's like plan a should be the the desperate after attempt really it exactly, should be yeah. Castrovo it should be flipped around like Castrovalva failed and the master goes oh I'm gonna send you into the big bang then you know <laughs> exactly yes precisely and it's just swapping it around so that trying to destroy the doctor in a way you will never you, I mean he's gonna watch it on Adric TV but you know it's not <laughs> it's not close up watching him suffer and die which is what he's desperate to do at the end of the Castrovalva attempt and it's just like no this doesn't make any sense whatsoever and yeah it all feels a bit flat after that it does a bit yeah do we need to segue to the fifth doctor at this point we're gonna have to because yeah i want to read out my first note because i don't know it just struck me as seeing his face i mean in the in the intro sequence as well yeah he looked so young. He was he was the youngest one to date, I think. Was he not? Yeah, he must have been by a long stretch. I, I, I think uh, one of the listener minis in our Logopolis episode, in fact, revealed as much. Yeah, I, th- I think he's actually only a couple of years older than Matt Smith was when he started. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Yeah, because everyone made such a big deal about how young Matt Smith was. But yeah, he's not that much younger than David. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting observation. That intro, by the way, not a repeat of the end of Logopolis. It's a reshoot. I saw that of in the... the... Oh, you mean, you mean them all crowding around him? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Mean... That's a reshoot, I, I... apparently. Uh, okay. I meant more the, um, sorry, the title sequence. Oh, I see, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very good place to start. We've got a new animation with his face in there. Do we get new music? I'm not sure if it's new music or if it's the same one as last time. Felt the same. I couldn't tell you, really. Okay, yeah. Feels super duper 80s regardless. Yeah. He is very young. He's very discombobulated. We've seen that with a lot of other doctors, as in when they've just been regenerated. We get to see him do his best impressions of prior doctors. I was going to say, there was a, a point where I, I wrote down, is this a first doctor impression? And he grabs his... Um... His braces and he goes, I wonder, boy, what would you do if you were me? Hmm? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he does Pertwee, he does Troughton as well. Very cool stuff. And he co- confuses the companions quite frequently with other companions. <laughs> yes, that's right. He calls Tegan Vicky, for example. Yeah. 
he's interesting. He's he's fun and he is interesting from the get go. Yeah, definitely. I I super warm to him. Like almost instantly. Like, incre- did yeah, incredibly quickly. Like I was I was almost taken aback. It's like I guess I guess you know we've seen pictures of him. As soon as he puts the outfit on, you're like, yes, that's the Doctor. He must be because I've seen pictures of the Doctor and it's him. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah, there, there is something about his portrayal I think which is just immediately recognizable as a doctor yeah that's true there is however obviously i miss the fourth doctor a great deal because i I love the fourth doctor and he's my doctor so to speak and yada 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 but something that i miss in the doctor's behavior is that edge and the fourth doctor has a little bit of an edge and in the new who episodes that we are reviewing in parallel to this we've got capaldi and he's got a massive edge he's got a serious (laughs) edge to him he's got a big on edge on yeah yeah And this doctor seems perhaps, I don't want to say too nice, but he is very nice. You know, he's the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. He, he's just a really nice chap. He's, he's quite prim and proper as well. He speaks, he speaks the Queen's English. Oh, certainly, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, no, that's, that's a good observation, actually. It'd be interesting to see if that holds throughout, whether he, he develops, uh, you know, a, a sharper tone in situations that demand it, or if he's just always this nice about stuff. Yeah, I am curious about that as well. Mm. There was an element, by the way, not of a doctor that he was mimicking, but I wonder if someone else was inspired by Davison. And I'm thinking of Tennant, because there were a couple of scenes where Davison is... There's, there's a scene in particular that I've mentioned in my notes here where he, he walks into the zero room. He's got his hands in his pockets as he's walking in. He's wearing his coat, so the coat is sort of billowing behind him as his hands are in his pockets. And just the way that he's leaning forward as he's walking with his hands in his pockets was incredibly reminiscent to me of Tennant as the Doctor. When he had his long coat and he would just shove his hands into his pockets and kind of lean for He would walk in a lean forwards. And, uh, well, I don't want to say presumably, but I wonder if Tennant perhaps was inspired by Davison in his portrayal. And obviously the two are now like, I mean, they're related by marriage at this point. I mean, they're not married to each other. (laughs) Tennant is married to Davison's daughter, right? Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. I can't remember her name now. Something something Moffat. <laughs> yeah, uh, George Moffat. George Moffat, yes, thank you. And they apparently have, like, hundreds of children. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I didn't realise. <laughs> I guess if you're a time lord, you a, have all the time in the world. Well, exactly. Uh, I think yeah. it's a bit of a joke in Staged, which is the... Oh, I David still haven't Schmidt. watched Staged. I really need to watch that. No, it's good. Uh, yeah, run in podcast land. If you can get hold of it, you should watch it. I've only watched the first series. Yeah, I, uh, that's an interesting observation, actually. I'd be curious if, if it is an intentional thing, or if it's... The, like, it might be intentional he wanted... Uh, a long coat and naturally you put your hands in your pockets and it leads to a similar look or if, if he was intentionally mimicking him i don't know yeah, don't yeah. Know. Uh, you know what actually on the on the note of davison and tenant as well massive props to davison because he insisted on his character being credited as the doctor up until this point he had been doctor who in the credits and Davison insisted that the credit be changed to The Doctor because his name isn't Doctor Who. Yeah? And later on, fast forward to New Who, uh, in when the reboot came in 2005, he was once again credited as Doctor Who. Eccleston was credited as Doctor Who, but when Tennant showed up, 
he also insisted, just like his future father-in-law, uh, to be credited as the Doctor. Uh, wow. Hmm. Interesting hmm. stuff. I hadn't picked up on that. So all the previous Doctors were credited as Doctor Who. Yeah. That is really weird, because don't people get up in arms about the, the uh, Peter Cushing film? But yeah, exactly. Yeah, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, it's such an absolutely blatant crime of hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, we got we've got this new doctor. He's trying to work out who he is. Yeah. We're trying to work out who he is as well. As part of that, as with I mean, all all the doctors I've seen, I don't know about the the first couple of regenerations, but that involves getting a new outfit. Certainly. And we have brushed up against this already, but yeah, he he goes. I think he goes into a cricket room first. He we see the the coat hanging on. Yeah. The the coat rack <laughs> and the hat. But then he, and the hat, yes, it's all all conveniently there. Of course, but he doesn't doesn't grab that straight away. No, first of all, he's. He goes a off cricket screen. bat. So, so, yeah, a scene in between. He goes off screen and then comes back, finds the cricket bat, then spots a cricket room. <laughs> Which he nips into and grabs a jumper and then comes out and puts the coat. And, and he also, I mean, he changes trousers, he changes everything. He's suddenly wearing, or maybe he's wearing the same shirt as before. Because he did the did, did the fourth Doctor also have uh, question marks on his lapel? Uh, sorry, on yeah. his uh, collar. Yes, I know. I did notice that. I I felt like it was more prominent. I don't know if they intentionally made it more prominent when Davison was being dragged as. Like uh, in the fourth Doctor's outfit. Oh, I see. Yeah, it really seemed obvious that the question marks were on the pals there compared to when Baker was wearing that costume. Which I don't know if they did intentionally to then go. Ah, oh, yeah, we're carrying this through. Like it's not totally thrown away. Like. <laughs> He's still the doctor. He's got the question mark on the pals. Yeah, know, of course. But, but Tom, you like Tom Baker, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're watching the show, isn't it? Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's. He's got some, I don't know, they kind of look like Converse trainer, like uh, basketball hype boots on, and he's got right, red okay. socks, quite tight trousers. <laughs> but how do you feel about the outfit? Because it is a, it's a sillier outfit than Tom Baker's, right? Even though Tom Baker obviously had the massive scarf, that's quite silly in and of itself. But this, this serial ends with Davison getting a, a stick of celery out of his inside breast pocket and popping it on his lapel. Did it? Oh my God, I must have looked away when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he isn't because you know he always has his stick of celery on on the lapel. That doesn't happen until part four, like right before they find the TARDIS. He he pops it on his lapel. That is crazy silly. That means, by the that way, that he's walked silly. around with a stick of celery for four episodes. <laughs> I I saw him grab the stick of celery. I did not note it down, but yeah, at one point he he grabbed it, and I did not see him put it in his lapel. <laughs> Wait, where does he grab it? I don't know. <laughs> it's there. Like on a on a table. It's, oh, really? Maybe it's in the same episode. Maybe it's in episode four as well. Like, Wait, the, is it a Castrovalvan stick of celery? Is this actually fake celery? Is this celery created by the mind of Adric? <laughs> I can't remember now. This is blowing I my really, mind. <laughs> I really hope it is actually. I really hope there is a stick of celery that only exists because Adric's brain created it. And maybe if Adric stops thinking about this celery, it will disappear. <laughs> Forever, <laughs> well, for the the duration of the Fifth Doctor era, <laughs> Adric is there, Maybe. just like constantly <laughs> focusing on it. <laughs> Adric goes to sleep, and it turns into like a, an elephant and uh, a really hot lady, and all these kind of things as he's dreaming. <laughs> a really hot lady. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I, I liked the fifth Doctor when he was interacting with people in Castrovalva. In fact, I loved it when he was interacting with the Master before I knew that the chap was the Master, the the uh, Portreeve. I really enjoyed those those interactions. And I loved him talking to the two chaps, Rother and Murgrave. He's trying to explain spatial geography to them. That was a scene that uh, I, I really warmed to the Doctor in that scene. I also yeah. really warmed to those two guys. But. Getting them to plot the points on the map. Yeah, especially Rother, who's <laughs> so like innocently fascinated by this. He's like, I'm a rational man, sir. Explain to me this interesting idea. <laughs> and then, yeah, at the same time, you got Murgrave going like, I, I, he's explained this idea, and I, I, I think I can grasp it, but not quite. Like, they're, they're really, <laughs> they're, so they're really nice about their limitations. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like <laughs> this guy's a genius, and I can, I can only but kiss his feet. You know. <laughs> Which um, actually leads me on to another, like, the guy who I originally thought was, like, Lord Buckethead, because he's the first guy we see, and it's a slightly darker bucket on his head, I think. Is this Shardavan? Um, Is this the librarian? This is Shardavan, the librarian. Yeah. Yeah. He has a lovely uh, line about the Portreeve, where he's, like, saying how much better the Portreeve is to him. He's like, he reads thoroughly the books I merely rearrange. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Shodan is, he's a complex character because for, well, not three episodes, like let's say two episodes, whenever we meet him, I guess that's in part two. From then on, up until almost the very end, he's... He's an utter asshole to everyone. Is he though? Is he not just? Is he not? Doing he's stuff? a massive dickhead. At a certain point, he and uh, the the <laughs> he and the women. Where are all these women? Is this a holiday? He and the women steal the life casket. <laughs> I know, true, yeah. And then he offers no explanation for why they took that box. Nor do the women, by the way. And But is this, is this I don't know, are we to assume it's under the instructions of, of the, the master? master as the portrait? Yes. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I felt like he always seemed to be in a bad mood, though. Like, when the Doctor was rushing around, yeah. he's just complaining about them being in a rush. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's complaining <laughs> about the women that? being there. Sorry? Yeah, just like, why are you in such a hurry? Like, uh, But he gets to say it five times because the Doctor keeps running into the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's because he's the librarian, and the librarian is the one who should always just be going like, shh, this is a library. Everyone <laughs> calm down, <laughs> you know? Maybe maybe that's part of it. But he was always in a bad mood. Like, he was horrible to the women. He's the one who yeah. says the, is this a holiday? Like, why are all the women here? Is this a holiday thing? Uh, he seems to just constantly be bossing them around. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, th- those poor washerwomen are not given any They don't have a single through, line, by the way. Through script, through plot, through treatment of other characters. Yeah, they are just shat on at every angle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, you know, plot twist, the librarian's a good guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I kind of well, I think I had spoiled myself at this point, but I, I looked at it as like he was suspicious of like the situation, and we see him throw a look, I think, at the Portreeve at one point, and yeah, his probably his angriest look of just like, oh, I'm not sure what's going on here, sort of thing. Oh yeah, and I I I don't think if you were watching this without spoilers, that would be enough to get you thinking, oh, maybe he's the good guy, and the Portreeve, this lovely old trap. You you know, he's really evil. <laughs> I never thought that. Yeah, I, d- I don't think there's enough in there to make anyone think that. There's an interesting use of uniforms in this serial as well, because certainly in these 
I, this doesn't just apply to Doctor Who, but I think certainly also in Doctor Who and anything from the 60s, 70s, and apparently also the 80s, where there's a clear cut, you know, good versus evil, there will be a good people dress in, in white or in bright colors, the bad guys dress in black. You know, Darth Vader wears a black uniform. Yeah. Um, the uh, We had the White Guardian and the Black Guardian in Doctor Who very, very recently in Classic Who. And here, the Portreeve wears white. The the master alias wears white. And the uh, the librarian, Shardavan, he wears all black. And we are led to believe through his behavior that he is a bad guy. So he's almost like a stand-in for the master in a way. And then, or possibly seems to be plotting against the Portreeve. And then the, the big reveal is the white-clad Portreeve with a white beard who's, who's been benevolent. He's acted benevolent throughout four episodes or however many episodes he's been in, morphs into the black-bearded, black-clad, shit-nozzle, what-is-the-master. I think that's a very interesting use of of uniforms, you know. It's sort of the Wild West series of white hats and black hats and blah, blah, but but still, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good observation, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if the if the script backed it up enough. It's interesting that you say that because I genuinely felt that he was such a dick. The no, no, but that's the thing. He was he was being like, but to then subvert that and make him basically the good guy and the catalyst for solving thing and him sacrificing himself at the end, like to use such strong visual metaphor and then make him actually a very grey character is just a is a bit weird. It, it is a bit know. weird. Maybe yeah, I, I liked it. I think it's good weird. Good weird. Okay, cool. The, there's I an know. interesting scene <laughs> where he talks to... Uh, I've already forgotten their names. I, I think this is the same two chaps. I, I might just be Castrovalva racist. <laughs> you know, like at a certain point all these semi-anonymous old guys look the same to me. But I, I think he's talking to rather an... What, what's the other guy? His name Margrave Hargrave uh, Murgrave Murgrave Murgrave. <laughs> I think he's talking to those two, and he says, "I know that you've had your doubts about the uh, Portreeve as well. I've heard you talk about this so often in the past." And it's that single line adds a whole new dimension to these characters because it suddenly means that they have a life outside of this simulation. They're trying to think for themselves. And on top of that, it turns out Dickhead McLibrarian actually kind of, in his downtime, gets along with these two characters whom we were just saying we found very endearing. I think they're very endearing in that scene. I don't know if they're very endearing through the rest of it. I'm trying to, trying to think. I don't know. I, I think the Castrovalvans, I don't know what yeah. the normative term would be, aren't particularly endearing in general. I don't know. There's, there's this whole weird setup where they appear as like hunters in kind of tribal outfits. Yeah, like and... cavemen on Molly. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, that's just flipped on its ass because that's them just basically getting exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. One of my first notes about them is, wow, they're really well spoken for primitives. And then... And then it turns out they're actually this semi-medieval civilization of sophisticates. I love that. Yeah, it's kind of all the tropes that I normally hate merged 
into a pot and then but there's a, a secret sauce sprinkled on top that actually makes it taste good <laughs> in the uh, what, what were the lion chaps again oh did oh, i just I, interrupt you by the way i'm sorry no no go ahead um yeah i can't remember what the lion people were called uh, whatever they were paw called <laughs> <laughs> yeah so paw patrol the chaps in east base they lived in a medieval castle but they were actually quite sophisticated and they they were well spoken and you know they had developed well beyond medieval standards of technology shall we say and yeah. civilization sort of social equality and yada yada actually wait no i take that back because they had like they were horrible slave traders weren't they but they, we, yeah they just had like abilities and they were called farrells by the way farrells yeah i prefer paw patrol but okay yeah regardless <laughs> So here, once again, we have... To, oh, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm starting to understand why you hate these tropes. But <laughs> <laughs> but I did really like these guys. I just felt that it was nowhere near the utopian society that it was purporting to be. Or uh, purported to be. Purported. Is that a pun? Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, but I'll take I, it. <laughs> I think, you know, when I, when I saw the tribes people hunting them at the start, I was eye-rolling. When I okay. saw the castle on the hill, I was eye rolling. Oh no. <laughs> but then when the tribes people turn out to be well, yeah, we went inside and we see like pillars and I don't know, maybe it's stone and marble things. Then I was kind of like, oh, hang on a minute. This doesn't fit with the usual trope. Yeah. Interesting. Take their things off. They've got buckets on their heads and <laughs> are all sophisticates and, and then it's like they've got a library? Okay. This is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, yeah, I kind of like that. But In I... the same scene where they are bragging about the size of their quarry, one of them goes, if we could cook your memories, we would feast indeed. <laughs> yes, I did like that. That was someone's entrance. I've forgotten who it was. It was <laughs> that was a nice, nice line to enter with. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. But yeah, the, the thing that... I, I let slide for the rest of the serial, but at the time in the first episode was bugging me, is that we had gone to Castrovalva because it is set up as basically a bigger version of the Zero Room. And the Zero Room is meant to be, oh, basically nothing is allowed to happen here. It's so boring. <laughs> like, like time and space is just like standing still and you can just get the most peaceful rest you've ever known. And then we come to this planet and it's like, hang on, there are tribes people. Oh, hang on, there's a castle. Oh, hang on. Actually, they're all intelligent and have got a library and read stuff. And like, yeah, no, this, is this is not a Zen place at all. Yeah. <laughs> this does not fit the brochure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like kind of let myself forget about that and carry on with the rest of the serial but uh, you know to, to dissect it now I'm just like but why why is the information that the master put into the TARDIS through Adric e exclaiming this is the place you go to to experience proper kind of zero environment and then it's nothing like that because it didn't have to be all it needed to do was bring them there but it, it is also it's such a long shot yeah what so he plans his only way way of getting people there is by saying hey there's a place that's even better than the like already pretty decent solution you have in place <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Because he doesn't know that they the way they got out of the Big Bang situation was they accidentally jettisoned the Zero Room. Does he? Or maybe he was watching at that point. Maybe. I, I don't I don't know. But even if that's... Uh, by the way, I love the fact that they have to jettison 25% of the TARDIS. I think that's yeah. a really cool okay. solution. But even if even if he did know about that, they have built a box out of the Zero Room. Just leave the yeah. dock in that box for a little bit longer than they would have left him in the Zero Room. It'll be fine. Yeah, just go go somewhere in deep space. Like, just don't go to a planet where there are other life forms that can cause you problems. Just stay in the TARDIS in the middle of nowhere in deep space and let Doc have a good old nap. Exactly, yeah. Take your time. Yeah. You're not about to get exploded by the Big Bang anymore. Just chill, open a bottle of wine, get to know your new Earth companion, get to know your new person from planet, Traken, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. Work out a way of getting Adric back. Discuss yes. who the hell the Doctor is, because neither of you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, figure out what your role in this whole thing is. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like such a long shot on the part of the master. Unless if it, if it's a case of he got Adric to uh, to pilot the TARDIS there, rather than Adric pre-programming it. Which, by the way, like why would Adric pre-program the TARDIS to go to Castrovalva, or not even to Castrovalva, to pretty far outside of Castrovalva? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is a good point actually because this is on the back of seeing some quite finesse, um, yeah, some some really fine tuned maneuvers with the TARDIS, like to the point of going around the police phone box. phone book, yeah, the police box, yeah, and like missing a little bit but being pretty damn close and then moving like two meters the other way, like you couldn't land in the castle. But this was not the Doctor. The Doctor was the guy who did the short jump. This is Tegan in the sorry. This is Adric in the guise of Tegan. But it's not. It's the Master in the guise of Adric in the guise of Tegan. <laughs> So why would think, the ma- maybe if the master's going to do that, why doesn't the master just like send them there anyway? He doesn't even put need to put the brochure in. He doesn't need to put the TARDIS information system in place. All he has to do is transport the TARDIS to near Castrovalva. Yeah. Oh, it it I just, don't know yeah, how I feel about so, it. <laughs> so flippy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, either it's it's the most genius thing and, like, every minute step is orchestrated and he's, like, he's manipulating Adric to do a thing which then will manipulate Nyssa or Tegan or both of them. Yeah. And, it's you know, it's so incredibly well organized <laughs> that you just, like, there is nothing that could possibly go wrong. Like, everything's being accounted for, which is incredibly hard pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Or it's just the flimsiest thing ever and it's just how how did this actually work like he's the luckiest bastard in the universe (laughs) okay so one thing that we haven't discussed is the mc escher of it all how castrovalva like it's a drawing by mc escher it's got stairs going leading every which way and if you go out one end you're gonna show up from the other like it, it, it's all weirdly interconnected interspatially how do you feel about that did they successfully create an escher-esque landscape i mean i would immediately have to say no oh, okay all right <laughs> how how so i think there's there's a one scene where they they visually show them kind of walking the right way up across a and upside down and underneath and yeah upside down the 
other. Pretty much the rest of it is done Scooby-Doo style and they they walk off some screen and they come into the open courtyard again. Yeah. They walk off, they go up some stairs, go out another way and they come into the open courtyard again. Which, you know, is it's the same premise in a way. A space wrapped on itself in ways that we can't possibly comprehend. But we've we've seen that, you know, Scooby-Doo does that. <laughs> like it's it's not you're not watching Scooby-Doo going, "Ah, oh, this is obviously a homage to MC Escher's uh, wonderful mind-boggling sketches, you know." It's <laughs> It strikes me this is a very, very tenuous link to Escher. He, he, as as far as I worked out as well, like he did a very plain drawing, like for compared to what he's known for of Castrovalva, the real place in Italy, and it's quite a tenuous thing to then say, ah, yes, um, but we were playing off uh, his work. I didn't look this up. I didn't realize that it was based on a on a place in Italy. I've just looked. I've just Google image searched Castrovalva, Escher's beloved village of Castrovalva. Oh wow. Okay. Oh, interesting. Hang on. I, mean, uh, I haven't even looked up Escher's original drawing. It's a interpretation of a real landscape. There's no mind-bending stuff going on in it. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's a little disappointing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a takeaway for the inspiration necessarily. Like Escher is known for obviously other things. Yeah. And yeah, the the mind-bending stuff they've got in there a little bit. It just. I feel like if you want to do that, do the, the the style of the scene in Labyrinth where David Bowie is, you know, walking upstairs upside down and spinning around and then coming across the, the ceiling, you know. I cannot believe that you somehow managed to get yet another Labyrinth <laughs> reference into <Yes>. this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that scene alone is worth watching, dude. <laughs> I think, yeah, basically in a, a very long-winded way, what I the point I'm trying to make is I don't understand why they didn't just say it's named after this town in Italy <laughs> because that <laughs> seems to be as much as the inspiration is really. Like. I'm trying to figure out how I feel about that. I didn't realize that it was... I, I mean, it's it's the equivalent of... You remember the first episode of the Davison era? Stockport. <laughs> <laughs> Stockport? I mean... It's a play. I've never been there, but I mean, it's a. I know of it. <laughs> Wait, you're saying he went to a place in outer space, Look, and it's called Stockport. <laughs> my knowledge of Stockport isn't great, but if if they set the cereal in a hat museum, then I think I would buy it. <laughs> right. Shall we jump into cliffhangers so that we can <laughs> progress to minis? And the exorbitant amount of listener minis we have lying in wait. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, then we yeah. <laughs> okay, cliffhanger wise. Well, obviously the first episode gets his own little cliffhanger of plan A. Oh, yeah. They're about to go, go, they're going to event one. I, I mean, I've just been referring to it as Big Bang because I, I made massive assumptions, which I think most people did. I, I think you're right in making that assumption. Yeah. The actual cliffhanger is, um, the actual ending is the master kind of waving them goodbye. It's like, ah, oh, you're going to die now. <laughs> yeah. And they don't even know that it's the master's doing, right? Uh, no, I think he, I think he, he videos in to gloat. Oh, you're what, right. He does. Because that's the um, immediate thing in episode two, where Nissa gives up very easily and goes, well, there's only one thing we can do, and turns off the television. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can put our um, webcam blocker on. There we go. At least he can't watch us. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> she puts a little piece of sellotape over the webcam. <laughs> episode two, then, what happens? Oh, Doc's woken up a bit early. So he's he's gone from his zero cabinet and Tegan, I think, found the blood. Yeah. So there's kind of like a 
oh my god, what's happened? Has the dog been hurt? <laughs> Actually, my, my first note for episode three is, oh my god, insanely loud birds. <laughs> <laughs> Honing in on the right thing there. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> But I think basically, yeah, we, we carry on with the fact that Doc is is fine. He's on his feet, but there's a blood trail, which I guess is the, the boar or pig that they've killed. They've been dragging along. Yeah, I guess so. leave, leaving a, I a think turn. that's a really nice bit of editing where, where they're following or rather we are following the blood trail up until the doctor. But then we continue to follow the blood trail past the doctor. Yeah, I think that's a very, very nicely directed shot. I, yeah, I like that as well. It's telling you information without telling you it, really. It's yeah, like, and oh, there's tension the in that up until the point that you pan past him. I, yeah, I like exactly. it. I think it's really well done. Yeah, I would agree. Then episode three, oh, we get the Castro Valva's all gone kaleidoscopic view. And just like, oh my God, it's all falling in on itself. Oh my God, I've oh, been yeah. so inspired. MC Escher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're caught in a space-time trap. Yeah, good stuff. Episode 3 ends with Castrovel starting to fall on itself, and it doesn't really have a re- resolution. I think I think these were all nice cliffhangers, actually. They felt like just kind of like, and revelation, and then the story just carries on in the next episode. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't big cliffhangery stuff. It's just a nice pause point, which is good. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. I feel like the Doctor having been taken or possibly murdered because there's blood, I feel like that's a proper cliffhanger. Actually, you know what? The first two cliffhangers are proper cliffhangers. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Surely we are crashing into the Big Bang qualifies as a cliffhanger. Oh, that's a damn good point. You are quite correct. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'd like to point out that even the stenographer in the corner of the room just winked at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she does have a thing for you. Sexist. It might be a dude. <laughs> I can see her. <laughs> Wait, you can see her too? This is freaking me out. <laughs> okay, fine. Shall we try to rate this? We can have a try. Yeah. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Writer Rooney and cheesecakes. <laughs> I'll be honest, parts one and two had me wondering what's so gosh darn legendary about this serial. No. (laughs) The script didn't seem entirely finished in places, and the companion performances were abysmal at times. But part three had me absolutely hooked until it kind of lost me again. (laughs) Davison does a spiffing job in this first serial, getting to explore quite a range of emotion, madness, kindness, bravery, and problem solving. But he is... Not unlike other Doctors, he is out of it for a lot of this serial. And he's literally put in a box and forgotten for a chunk of it as well. So I'm I'm looking forward to his next appearance. Uh, Already forgotten what that one's called. I'm looking forward to that being sort of more of a first Davison outing. Not unlike Tennant again, by the way, who slept through much of the Christmas invasion. So yeah, anyway, plus points for Davison. Welcome to the show, old chap. The companions, already mentioned, did not care for them. They were re-donk. We barely get any any Adric. Nissa is super underused in, in this one, since she doesn't even really get to employ her science skills all that much. And Tegan is, so far, and let the record show I am prepared to be turned around by future appearances, but so far, Tegan is a total waste of space. I do enjoy the aesthetics of this serial, though, from the outfits with the Castrovalvan MDMA cavemen uh, and the double hats to Doc's cricket getup. Oh, and skin-tight velvet trousers 
houses are like a straight up yum for me. Uh, to the <laughs> MC Escher business. Awesome stuff. And the TARDIS. I- I'll count that to aesthetics as well. Wow, we such scopes as width and breadth and depth and whatever other dimensions Doc has squeezed in there. Really cool stuff. And we get to see all these little new details of it. I mean, aside from the Zero Room, there are all these like, suddenly there are new nooks and crannies. I love that Nissa takes out, out a roundel and starts turning a giant arrow around a completely unmarked dial that then changes color. I love that when they crash, another roundel pops out of the wall and a first aid kit is revealed to be hiding behind it. That's amazing stuff. Conceptually, I think this serial is perhaps more impressive than it is in execution, however. We talked about the simulation malarkey. It blew my mind at times, but the execution sadly shows off the master as a bit of a bumbling dilettante and much of... Oh, I feel like we say this so often. I'll say it again. Unfortunately, much of the potential is squandered. So for that reason, and the companion acting, and the blatant sexism, uh, which I guess we can blame on the master. So, you know, fair enough. Uh, Or Adric. Or or Adric, so true. (laughs) For those reasons, and for the fact that I don't think the plans measure up to one another, as in plan A versus plan B, I am afraid I am giving this... A 2.6. Ooh. Yeah. Lower than I was expecting. See, That's I feel like... I, I, I get that it's lower than you were expecting, but I feel like if this weren't Davison's first, it might, in fact, be lower. Oh. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm so... Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, damn it. All right. Oh, go for it. Please, save us. <laughs> I don't know if I can necessarily, but I can, uh, I can definitely tell you what I thought. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting, actually. I've feel like we have discussed some things which I've probably thrown in a negative light and then actually when I sit and think about them and put them on my pros and cons list they might have ticked a plus column. Anyway. Uh, So yeah I kind of like actually that this is a serial where Doc is out of it for most of it because it does push the focus on the companions and they're kind of acting as caretakers. They're having to do stuff which when you've decided you're going to have three companions is probably quite a good call to take dock out the equation a little bit and try and establish them. Yes, there are definite problems with how they choose to do that. And yes, I would agree that the character portrayal of Tegan up to now is pretty lackluster and superfluous. Yep. But on the other hand, I, I actually am kind of liking what they're doing with Adric. The way he's turned into a, a plot device is obviously not great for the character development. But before that, he's shown to be quite capable he's he's like sacrificing himself to let the others get away that's true he manages to break through the master's manipulation at point uh, definitely one point possibly others we're not quite sure i think to deliver a message to nissa for example and you know this entire world of castro valva valva sorry <laughs> oh, here we go yes <laughs> castro valva <laughs> has been generated through his understanding of mathematics, which is utterly ridiculous, but like a big thing for the character. We do get a lackluster master, but I enjoyed the fact that he was attempting to be violent at one point, even if it was giving Nissa a little push. (laughs) But he literally just like shoves her across the screen at one point. And it's like, (laughs) yes, this this is him being a bit desperate and a bit bit naff, but I don't know. I, I like it when things actually happen rather than just talking about things happening sure so so that's ended in the plus column and i i do i like the idea of castro valva folding in on itself and how that was played with 
in Scooby-Doo style and in the scene with, oh, put this one thing on the map and they place it four times. You know, that was a wonderful idea. And I I don't buy that it's just an MC Escher reference. I feel like that's a massive stretch to say this serial is an MC Escher reference and the other countless serials in Doctor Who aren't that do this kind of thing. <laughs> it just seems a bit weird. To, to good points. Yeah, very good point. But on the whole, liking it. Yeah, with Doc being out of it for most of the time, we just get a bit of a confusion, Doc. Like you say, it's it's stretching the acting chops of Davison, but it's not necessarily great for the Doctor's character. But we do get a few occasions where he's lucid and, you know, I, I like seeing that, the flip between, or oh, he's misremembering companions, all this kind of stuff. And then, like for example, when he steps into the Zero Room the first time, suddenly he's like together. We get a glimpse of what Davison's Doctor can be and he's all composed and, yeah, he's, he's quite a well-spoken chap and he seems to know what he's doing and it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I could get on board with this Doctor. Very interested for the next one. In the in the kind of iffy ground, there was this weird recurring thing between Tegan and Nissa of the power of if, which I feel like maybe there was some conceptual stuff there that ended up on the cutting room floor, be it from the script or filming. I don't know. It was kind of an interesting thing in places, but then never really fully developed. So now we move into my few negative points, one of which is generally a counterpoint to yourself, actually, Leon. Episode two, I generally just put in a bucket, bucket of... <laughs> <laughs> I found, found a lot of things to not like in episode two like yeah I have this weird thing where nissa changes her outfit but tegan in her air stewardess outfit doesn't have time to change what we still have this air stewardess in the background on an alien planet <laughs> she's Whatever. climbing a mountain in heels by the way <laughs> yeah both of them are <laughs> nissa changes into an outfit that still has heels it's ridiculous oh i didn't <laughs> notice that okay yeah Doc is being wheeled around in his zero cabinet on top of a wheelchair. Oh, yeah. Like a, it's a bit weird. Nissa slips into the water and then has a moment of going, ooh. There's some weird comedy effect applied when like the tool to do something, some gizmo-y thing, is full of water and it goes, or I don't know. Yeah, Pop 2 is like, straight up shit, isn't it? Yeah, there's just a whole <laughs> chunk of it. It's just like, this is terrible. Um, and like you said, yeah, this is actually a strangely Dr. Light serial, which maybe there is, you know, precedence that regenerations often play out that way. But yeah, it was a bit of a shame. And how desperate the master is. That's a massive negative for me. Like this is this is not the strong, confident, scheming master with plans that, you know, you you think are really putting the universe under threat. This is mm. someone who who at the end of it is just going, oh, I really need to get into this box. I just need to slap the doctor in the face with a fish. Come on. <laughs> Um, and yeah, which is leading to the biggest, biggest problem is that the whole kind of plan A of sending them to the Big Bang and plan B of this really convoluted thing of create a world in the mind of a mathematical genius, which then means I can go into that world and go to the doctor and say, ha ha, told you, now you're dead. It's yeah, just the wrong way round, or at the very least, just, just show us Castro Valva, don't do the Big Bang thing. Anyway, that was a bit of a ramble. I think generally <laughs> I did enjoy it. <laughs> I did enjoy this serial more than you you seem to have done, Mr. Okay. Leon. There are definitely problems with it. There are some things in here that if they had shifted focus around, it could have been a really great serial. As it ends up, it's just a bit better than average for me. You know what, actually, I've told myself down. I was going to do a 3.1. <gasps> I'm not. I'm, I'm going to do a 2.9. Oh! Okay, yeah, we're kind of in the same area, same ballpark. Yeah, 
All right. Yeah, very good stuff. I am almost, I, I mean, I'm not going to say let's make this interesting, but I'm almost willing to bet that we are way below the average of the listener minis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not infrequent that we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Find out then. Yeah, let's do that. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. Not so mini a section this time, because holy moly, we have received no less than 15 listener minis from you guys. Yeah, actually, one maxi as well. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that. We're going to read them all in their full splendor this time, but just a reminder for the future, super quick reminder, because we've got a lot of these to get through. We may in future curtail some of the listener minis a little bit if we if we end up having tons of them uh, and it's very late. And by the way, it is midnight. <laughs> in the UK, it's 1am in Berlin. So <laughs> Yeah, it's 1am yeah, here. Gold I, medal I, to you, Jim. Gold medal. <laughs> I am quite happy to instigate the lucky dip in the future if we decide to. Of like we might read out X number. Yeah. Uh, slash we, we might read we may we also need to start recording us. earlier. Yeah, but that <laughs> probably makes more sense. <laughs> but also, you know, I might read out the last sentence backwards. Who knows? Like, oh wow. This is what we're doing. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stay tuned, podcast land. Uh, right, let's delve into the, the listener mini treasure trove. First out the gate, we've got Stephen from Canada. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. Stephen starts. The doctor has regenerated, but it's not as simple as a cross dissolve. Doc's midlife crisis is further complicated when the master traps Adric in a modern art sculpture and sends Vatardis barreling to the very beginning of the universe. After that, it's a relaxing couple of episodes on Castro Valva, the planet of peace, textiles, and that one MC Escher piece, though not the one with the titular name. <laughs> Peter Davison's debut in the role is pitch perfect, with the Doctor being just as uncertain about the new change as the audience certainly was. The Doctor echoing his previous incarnation's mannerisms was a joy to watch, especially with references to old companions. Mm -hmm. The focus on current companions and their character development was a welcome change from the usual Doctor-centric stories, though enough of the new Doctor could be seen to solidify his character and endear it to him. The final mystery of the true nature of of Castrovalva was fascinating, and it's the kind of trippy that makes the good Doctor Who episodes great. Oh, wow. And Stephen says, overall, this story earns four Roundel sarcophagi out of five. <laughs> nice. Holy moly, big heart. Uh, agree with your sentiment regarding Davison? Completely disagree with your sentiment concerning character development of the companions. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very I much. Do not, I do not completely disagree with the sentiment of the companions, but still, don't have as big a heart as you. Well done, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Stephen. Next up, we've got Ed Corbet. <laughs> or Corbett. <laughs> mm, a nice spoonful of... Corbet. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ed. Hello, Ed. <laughs> and Ed gives us this delight to start with. Castro Valva continues straight on from Legopolis and treats us to some funky escape music. It does, yeah. We witness the worst bluff ever with Adric's 
I'm an alien. It's fine. <laughs> I forgot about that. That was really quite crap. They play up that the Doctor's regeneration may fail, and while I assume no one thought the Doctor would die in his first story, it gets him out of the way so that Nyssa and Tegan can nearly get them all killed. For someone so bright, does Nyssa really need to look up what hydrogen is? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, hydrogen, you say? <laughs> what is this, this thing you talk about? Uh, it's the Liz Shaw problem again, says Ed. Companions need to ask questions so the Doctor can explain things for the audience. But she's too smart to actually need to. This is why you have Tegan, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anywho, Ed continues, And so my petty feud with the Doctor is over. Did the Master just admit their feud, which he solely perpetuates, is petty? It doesn't really sell this new master to viewers if even he admits he's a loser. <laughs> that good point. <laughs> yeah, solid. <laughs> when we finally arrive on Castro Valva, the crew gets stalked by giant Ewoks. <laughs> Their helmets have the quality that only who can grant something of simultaneously, simultaneously being awesome, yet totally sucking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Ed, I'm so glad you're on board with this. Yeah, this is good stuff. (laughs) Ed continues, Having effectively two stories in one helps with this serial's pacing. Four episodes in, Castrovalva itself would have been a bit too much. It introduces a softer, even sweet on occasion, Doctor than we've had for the last few years. Having the Doctor being ill for most of the story allowed the companions to shine, but lessened Peter's ability to establish himself. And with all of that, Ed concludes, Not memorable, but enjoyable enough. Oh, and he does give this a marvellously resonant score. Oh, does he now? Score. <laughs> of <Yes>. 2.9. <laughs> yes. He <Eat> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is solid. Excellent, Mini. Thank you very much, Ed. <laughs> Ed, thank you very much. Next, Next up, <laughs> we have technically the first review from Neil. Hello, Neil. Um, hello, Neil. But we actually did read your second review earlier. In that's t- right. Actual time in the the bonus fourth Doctor retrospective. Yeah, that's uh, what happens when you do a time travel related podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's happen from time to time. <laughs> so yeah. don't be confused when we read out things like "Hi, guys." new reviewer here (laughs) (laughs) which is how ed starts his eon yeah i finally caught up on all the classic who reviews and i'm pumped to get on board the davison train and now some uh just gushing praise your podcast is fantastic and has kept me smiling through some pretty dark times so for that i want to thank you all past hosts and current kerblam oh oh thanks very much neil that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thank you. Super duper warmed my heart. <laughs> thank you very much. Welcome aboard. And we will um, pass on your sentiments to all the other hosts. Of course. Yes. Right, so on to Neil's mini. It's always fun seeing a new doc in the previous one's clothes, he starts. Tegan and Nyssa don't even check on the guards outside the TARDIS. They just leave them for dead. Bitches. And I enjoy seeing the depths of the TARDIS. That cricket room is gorgeous. Davison copes well with the regeneration recovery scenes. He has to do some pretty silly stuff, but he commits to it admirably. It's fun to watch this very good actor perform with three very bad actors. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Anthony Ainley isn't the best master, but he always seems delighted to be there. He does well playing the poor Treve. 
And some of his future disguises are awful, but this one is great. I, oh, it certainly is. I don't even know what to expect of the future, by the way. Wow, continues Neil. That great shot that reveals the zero room. Sexy. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, hey, whatever tickles your pickle, man. <laughs> Love the jungle sound effects added to the exteriors of Castrovalva. Hilarious considering it was shot in Sussex. <laughs> that's, tr- yeah, that's, oh my goodness, this is exactly like your loud birds comments. <laughs> Yes, it must be. Yeah. In fact, one of my first comments around about the same time was just like, this place is not calm. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have the Castrovalvan hunting costumes are fucking mental. Uh, But speaking of Castrovalvans, I adore them. (laughs) Uh, The scene where the doc gets them to mark place on the map is beautifully performed. In fact, I probably want to hang out with Rupper and Murgrave. We could get grumpy Shardovan really drunk. (laughs) Dang right. (laughs) Yeah, I love those two guys as well. Go on, Shardy. Swing down from the balcony again, you mad fucker. Wait, I have to interject here. Um, this, I think, is now finally fallen into place of why I got serious Monty Python vibes from Chardavane. It's because not only does he look like John Cleese as the French guard in <gasps> Holy Grail. Yes, he does. You're so right. That swinging chandelier scene is also, again, John Cleese in his Galahad, not Galahad, but, you know, whatever one he is, Lancelot, uh, killing all the party guests. Yeah, well, he's just like, he's running from <laughs> afar <laughs> 20 times. <laughs> yeah, the, that bit. But then he, then he escapes by swinging. Well, I think he doesn't fully escape by swinging across the thing on a chandelier. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, Neil continues, even the Portreeve might sink a few whiskeys. <laughs> They're still having drinks. They're still having oh, drinks. Right. Sorry, yeah, yeah. we've been interrupting this, this party. party. <laughs> yeah, really sorry, Neil. Because <laughs> yeah. we finished with mad techno music and a haunting shot of the master being clawed apart. <laughs> nah. Oh, wait, that's not the party anymore. That's the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this story has got me through many a hangover. I love how calm and gentle it is. If there's an afterlife, I hope it's like Castrovalva. Oh, man, dude, that is, that's, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want that. Yeah, guess. even if it were a great episode, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And obviously, being a hangover cure and a possible afterlife is going to be high rating. And of course it is. Neil gives it 4.5. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> huge heart alert someone sound the huge heart klaxon love it love it love it love it thank you very much neil <laughs> good stuff good technically first mini People who are not Neil, I command you, go onto the interwebs, find Neil, high-five him, tell him hi from us. He can be found at Neil Androzani. Oh, Androzani. Yes, Androzani. Okay, who's next? Why, next up, we've got Chris Dapps Paddock. What up, Chris Dapps? Hello there, Chris Dapps. Chris Dapps starts. Yeah, there's stuff to like here, but I just don't. I'm sorry to say it, but this is very clearly the least likable Kruvatardis has ever and will ever have. Oh, well. Oof, my oof. Wait- <laughs> Sorry. I keep waiting for Davison to warm up, and he doesn't. Um, spoiler alert, he won't. Oh, no. 
Oh, no. Maybe the Davison era is best understood as being dominated by a permanently brain-damaged Doctor. Nyssa is the best thing the TARDIS has right now, but Tegan is like nails a chalkboard. <laughs> and Adric continues to Adric. <laughs> <laughs> Love the use of Adric as a verb. Christos continues, Every regeneration story is a bit jumbled as people find their footing, but this cast never does. This is not to say the Davison era is shit, and there are things to look forward to, but Castra Valva is best left behind, if you can find your way out of its recursive pathways. And Christophs gives this a score of 2.8. Mm. Nice. All right. A lovely, succinct mini. Yeah, oh, a, a totes malotes a thousand million percent agree. But also just to say, if... If the serial that is best left behind still gets a 2.8, I'm a, you know, Davison era half full kind of guy. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the rest of this. Thank you very much, Chris Tabs. Excellent stuff. Good stuff. Next up. What next? <gasps> well, I'm glad you asked, because next up we've got Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Hello, Kieran. Of all the post-regeneration stories we've had so far, this one actually focuses on the post-regenerative effects. So, while in a way it suffers from the problems Spearhead from Space does, that the Doctor is out of action for a while, here it is at least for a decent purpose. Seeing the Doctor in a motorized wheelchair is quite funny, and is a rare example of the Doctor being very weak. This was actually the second one Davison filmed, as they decided to film the next one first, so Davison felt a bit more comfortable in the role before doing the post-regeneration stuff. Quick pin in that, because Kieran has added a correction in a separate email to say that this was actually the fourth one filmed. He does continue, though. It's Bidmead's last writing contribution for a while, and generally it works. His penchant for Technobabble can be annoying at times, but generally it works in this one and helps make the show feel sci-fi. Fiona Cumming has her first outing as director, and she does very well. Three more Fifth Doctor stories for her to go. Additionally, the music style carries on from Logopolis and helps generate a nice double feature. The master is quite devious in this one, with signature Ainley's laugh all over it. That said, I'm not entirely sure if the depiction of Event 1 is correct, but that's too much physics for my chemistry self. Also, lol. The TARDIS information system so looks like CFAX. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> so, all in all, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with this one, but I find it a little unfocused, which means that Kieran gives this what, Liam? Well, 3.7 out of 5 Adric Torture Chambers. That's that's a that's a generous yeah. rating and a solid mini. A solid mini. I think a few episodes ago, serials ago rather, I would be saying that's not enough Adric torture chambers by a long stretch. But I think that's <laughs> just the right number now. Yeah, yeah, well done and nicely done for picking out uh, Fiona Cumming. We didn't talk about that, but I mean, we'll meet her again apparently three more times. So yeah, good, good stuff. Uh, people who are not Kieran Evans, you know what to do. Follow Kieran on Twitter. High five him from us. In fact, tell your friends to follow him as well. He can be found at KJ Evans. What, Jim? Two. That's right. Two, the number. That's the number. Mm. Yeah. Don't, don't write the word to there, because that won't get you him. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. Next up, we have a mini from the New To Who podcast. I'm willing to bet this is from Stephen at the New To Who podcast. Hello, both Stephen and the New To Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to all at New To Who podcast, and especially Steve. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stephen starts with a quote from Goethe. All beginnings are delightful. Wait, I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to do this in a German accent. (laughs) (laughs) All beginnings are delightful. The threshold is the place to pause. Long ago, I believed this to be the best Doctor Who story of all time, says Goethe. No, I'm kidding. Says Stephen. (laughs) And for the longest time, I did so because it was a quiet, even neglected story of two best enemies, both of whom were paradoxically new. It was a story at first set in the safe sanctity of the TARDIS, even as it hurtled towards imminent destruction, with the Doctor in the midst of their worst post-regenerative crisis then yet seen. It thrilled that younger version of this older fan as much for its extended Type 40 interiors and something pinkishy grey called the Zero Room as much as for the threat of the ominously invoked Event 1, whose drawing proximity was signalled by the distant tolling of the TARDIS's cloister bell. Of course Stephen has a thing for the cloister bell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stephen does continue. One scene that continues to resonate, transporting me to my first viewing, sees the newly regenerated Doctor chancing upon a cricket bat a forgotten dressing room of cricketing paraphernalia, and what would become his signature frock coat. The incidental score of that short, pleasant cutaway by Paddy Kingsland, excellent throughout, is especially memorable and helps to define a certain sense of optimism and endless possibilities ahead for this new Doctor, finding joy in simple things like a game whose preamble to its rules indicates that it should be played not only within its laws, but also within the spirit. An overarching principle for the character of this utterly decent, utterly English fifth doctor. Oh, that is, that's lovely. That is precisely the kind of poetry that we have come to expect from Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. That is lovely stuff. Thank you very much. Everyone in podcast land is probably already listening to them. If they're not, they should absolutely go ahead and and subscribe to the New To Who podcast, who can be found on Twitter as well, at New To Who podcast. All in one word for what, Jim? Why, for your convenience. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to follow Stephen himself, he can be found at Steed Styling. That's styling without a G. Thank you very much, Stephen. Next up, who we got? Oh, it's only that chap who's a bit Davidy. Oh, what up, David? Hello, David. David starts. I have to say, the Davidson era is a part of who I know almost nothing about. So I'm going to be reading the novelization before watching each one. <gasps> Whoa, wow, that's a serious commitment. Well, bravo, hats off. David continues. What do you do when you have too many companions? Have one of them captured almost straight away. Why does the master have that weird raised platform just so he can go up a couple of feet to talk to Adric? It's in the bloody book as well. (laughs) Weird. I'm now intrigued if the book has it where he can lower the web thing by about a foot as well. Uh, David continues, I can't say I find all the stuff in the steamy TARDIS all that interesting, but when they get to Castro Valva, I fall in love with this story. The music, the atmosphere, it's great. It'd be bloody amazing to go there for a couple of weeks, kick back and spend some time with Murgrave and Shardavan. <laughs> you really get the sense that the production team have been waiting for Tom Baker to sod off so they can put their own stamp on the series. I think they get off to a great start, even if bits of it don't make sense. It's got some interesting things to say about the nature of existence, and that bit at the end where the Castrovalvans are tearing at the master is chilling. You made us man of evil, but we are free 
<laughs> quotes David's. And he gives this what, Jim? <laughs> Holy moly. Be impressed with the size of David's heart because he gives this 4.8. Oh, holy moly. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Sound the big heart bell. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, it, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Oh, I'm loving the passion. <laughs> thank you very much, David. Yes, thank you, David. Amazing stuff. Oh, he's added a PS as well to say if there was any classic Who that Drew should watch, it should be kinder. I predict it'll be right up his alley. Hmm. Well, I'm curious. I, I I haven't seen it myself. Wait, is kind of a name of a serial? I guess so, yeah. I, uh, it does ring a bell, actually. It's third serial of season 19. Ah, so we're getting it very soon. Yeah, very good. Okay, oh, well, this... we'll let Drew know. Thanks very is much it for that. Feature cricket. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, wonder if it will. Also, wonder if we're going to have uh, a, a future cricket correspondent appear in these classic serials. Hmm, who knows? I wonder too. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, thanks, David. Who's next, Jim? Hey, it's that time again for the Zoonmeister. It's Peter Zunich. What up, Peter? Hello, hello. No. <laughs> oh, Peter starts his review in an effort to review differently this time. I'm taking a page from Who Back When and I'll explain how much I love Castrovalva by ripping it apart. Oh, nice. Here we go, Peter. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Peter starts his ripping with the following. Flight attendants are the first to admit they are not pilots. If, as in, if you tell me one more contrived allegory, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Davison is so good at not being the doctor that he can't even find himself. Such great dialogue. I have a zero room. It has a throne and I use it for hangovers. <laughs> The medical wing needs to better secure its psychic wheelchairs. 20 years and who still has no effing clue about the difference between the galaxy and the universe? <laughs> <laughs> and the hunting party look like they should have tellies on their tubbies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Peter continues, from now on, anytime I see a character, character and think, he looks familiar. Oh no, it's the master. <laughs> We know the castle is a fake. It has more than five people in it. <laughs> the end reveal with Adric would have been so much better if they hadn't spoiled it 13 times before the curtain is torn down. Zero cabinets <laughs> melt standing up, not laying down. <laughs> and recursive technobabble is so 1982. Wait, that makes it future talk, does it? Maybe, this, maybe this is 1982, actually. <laughs> Actually, I think we might be. Yeah, January 82, I think we might be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Castrovalva is a dumb name for a castle gone fractured mirror. <laughs> yeah, suck on that town in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rename yourselves. Why don't you? Yeah, it's shit. <laughs> and Peter concludes, this story falls victim to the same weaknesses as many regen apps. It's not the best, but I don't care. Every time I enjoy it for what it is. That's right. It's a three-minute plot in a four-part story. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter gives this three-minute plot 3.1. Mm. Nice. Oh. See, Peter, I was, I was channeling you when I was thinking of 3.1, and then I just I lost my way a bit. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, loving this. Good stuff. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great stuff. Who we got next? Next up, why? We have Derek Moore. 
Hello, Derek. More of Derek, of course. Please. Yes. Derek starts, Dearest Whovians, I am so excited for this new chapter in classic Whovianism. I started watching Doctor Who in the States during the fifth Doctor's run, so Peter Davison always will be my childhood Doctor. I definitely look upon this era with rose-coloured cricket glasses. Little things I'd forgotten came back when I watched Castrovalva after many years this week. For example, how cool would it be to have your own background organ-slash-synthesizer music everywhere you walked? I love the fact that background music is everywhere and every when for the Fifth Doctor. Oh no, I don't know if I share that passion. (laughs) That being said, continues Derek, or I mean typed, there are other pet peeves about this era I had conveniently forgotten, such as the tendency for someone to speak a line, the camera pauses and switches to someone else, who then pauses and speaks another line, and this goes on forever. And the master is so obsessed with puzzling the doctor to death rather than killing him outright. I half expected the master to try to kill the doctor by confusing him with a giant Ken Ken puzzle. <laughs> Don't even know what that is. <laughs> Isn't it like a, um, what's it called? The num- oh, What's the numbered puzzle? Sudoku. Sudoku, yeah, I think so. So it's, uh, it's not uh, Ken Dolls 69. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> No, but direct me direct me to that puzzle, please. I want to see that. <laughs> Wait, what kind of puzzle is that? What, you have two... Is it like a like a Chinese finger trap kind of situation, but with two candles, 69 in? Yeah, it's whatever your imagination wants. That's it, fine. <laughs> that's what that's my imagination it. wants. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anywho, <laughs> Derek concludes... Flaws and all, this is a fun episode, and Peter Davison is great as a much more empathetic and kind-hearted doctor. Is Castrovalva real? Who cares? It's fun. 3.8 out of 5 fun-filled starts collapsing upon themselves with incidental background music. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Derek. That's lovely. That's a really, really nice many. Thank you very much. Very good stuff. Thank you so much, Derek. So who do we have next? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. Wow, this is someone we have not heard from for a while. Who is it, Leon? Please reveal all. (laughs) Why, it's Tracy from America. Uh. (laughs) Hello, Tracy. Welcome back. Hello, Tracy. Um, Sorry that we gave your theme tune to someone else, but not sorry to Stephen. It's well deserved. (laughs) (laughs) So Tracy starts... Hey podcasters, it's been a while, but Doc 5 is kind of my favourite, so here I am. I'd like to start us off with a question. Did you give away my theme song while I was gone? (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Really sorry, like huge apologies. (laughs) Gigantic, gigantic hugs too. Yeah, generally didn't read down two lines to see. (laughs) (laughs) Which Tracy appropriately follows up with an eye roll. <laughs> oh, well, says Tracy. Anyway. Oh, my God. Castro Valva. <laughs> I love the massive weirdness that is this serial. The TARDIS travelers become lost with an MC Escher picture. It's fantastical. It's beautiful. It's weird. Although it's annoying that it was all invented by a combination of Adric's and the Master's imagination. Mm-hmm. I guess this means one of them is directly responsible for that stick of celery <gasps> the doc is going to on to. Holy that's moly! Oh, that's what I... Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm freaking out over there. <laughs> he genuinely is. <laughs> 
Tracy continues. There's some nice transitional Doctor stuff Davison does. The scarf unraveling as the Doctor sheds his old self, his reaction to non-curly hair. Oh yeah, that's really nice. And his imitations of past Doctors. She then adds some companion stuff. Tegan is confident and resourceful. She's not a fan of lumpy space... <laughs> lumpy space princess. She's kind of boring here. There's Adric trying to fight the Master while being tortured. And I bet you all still hate him. He's doing his best, guys. He's doing his best. And in the end, the Master is his own worst enemy. He made a town with geography so weird, even the townspeople he made got suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Yeah, yeah. And Tracy gives us a rating of a fish turning into a bird. (laughs) That's... A, a spot-on, highly appropriate rating. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say, well, that is a rating, but I actually checked myself. I'm not sure if that is a rating, but it's what you've decided is a rating, so that's fine. I feel like that perfectly encapsulates the serial, quite frankly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I have been sceptical regarding your ratings in the past, Tracy. Let, let, let that be clear. <laughs> no, this is excellent. I I'm glad to be reading a rating from Tracy again. That's all. Yeah, welcome back. People of Podcast Land, please join us in welcoming Tracy back. Tracy can be found on Twitter at Yekodnyatnoof. <laughs> That's Fountain Tracy backwards, almost. <laughs> Who have we got next? Next up, it's Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. What up, Nick? Hey there, Nick. Nick starts. Castrovalva marks the beginning of the downturn in classic Who for me. On its own, it is a good story, and Davidson's era is better than what comes after it. We begin from the end of Logopolis and get to see Tegan razzing around in an ambulance. Adric, as befits him, takes up with the master, slimy toad, and the companions seem to take regeneration quite well and help the Davison doctor recover from his regeneration. They do a good job carrying the story in the first half before the Castrovalva segment. There is some genuine peril with the event one scenario, and Adric being trapped by the master and Davison eventually snaps into action to win the day. I love the Escher-like Castrovalva, the concept of the Zero Room, and Davison is genuinely a good actor. This marks the end of a trilogy of the Master. Traken, block transfer, and lots of change in the TARDIS, and does a good job. Plus, Ainley is great. 3.4 for me, says Nick. (gasps) Cheers, cheers to you, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, cheers indeed. Oh, good stuff. Mini and rating. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> I like that you enjoyed Tegan rousing around in an ambulance. Uh, <laughs> love it. Thank you very much, Nick. Ooh, Next. ooh. Next, we have that lad that goes by Tan Six Fingers, aka Ben. Hello, Ben, aka Tan Six Fingers. Oh, see you mixing it up. <laughs> Six Fingers has gone well over the 250 limit. Yeah, that's right. He submitted a maxi, so we're going to read, in this case, the last 250-ish words. So, Tans concludes-ish. <laughs> Middles-ish. Nissa and Tegan get some screen time and begin to develop more as characters. The Doctor spends a lot of time dazed and confused, but this is normal for a regeneration story, and he doesn't really come into his own in this story. There is no threat of world or universal destruction, which is terribly overdone. Just the master trying to kill the doctor so that makes for a nice change the master most likely escapes in his tardis 
the master leaves nothing to a chance. But the recursion from the collapse of the Castrovalva city is sure to have had some ill effect on him. I like the subtle humour in it, like when the Doctor is wandering around the TARDIS and asks Andric if he has ever been to Alzurius, to which Andric replies, I was born there. The Doctor then says, oh, small universe, since eSpace was literally in a pocket universe. Yeah, that is fun. <laughs> <laughs> there is a small editing error towards the end of the last part, as the TARDIS team are jogging back to the TARDIS. In the background, you can see a white horse fence along the road they were jogging. Mm. Neither the road nor the fence were evident when Nissa and Tegan carried the Doctor out of the TARDIS on their arrival. Tan Six Fingers concludes with a rating of 3.7 because it was a pleasure to watch, but a little slow in places. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of neatly sums it up, actually. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. People who are not Tan Six Fingers, find Tan Six Fingers in wherever you go to play games online because he's big on the online gaming scene, but also hit him up on Twitter at Tan's Six Fingers, that's six. The number. Correctamundo. Thank you very much. And also go to Hubak when to read the, the full extent of Tanzan's review. Oh, yes, absolutely. Next up, who we got, Jim? We've got Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hello. Oh, Andy. Andy has sent us both a maxi and a mini. Thank you very much, Andy. You can find the maxi on the website. Please do go and read it. We are going to read the mini, which starts with some likes. First like, as the Doctor struggles with his regeneration, he calls his companions by past companions' names, and he impersonates his previous incarnations. Castrovalva's layout seems to be based on the artwork Relativity by Dutch artist M.C. Escher. Indeed. In a neat twist, rather than have an anagram of the master, they instead list the actor playing the portrait as Neil Toynay. Anagram of Tony Ainley. Yeah, that's good. We then move on to some boofs. The master plans to destroy Vitaris and its passengers in event one. But just in case, he's got Castrovalva lined up as a second trap. The master is shit at plans. <laughs> He now has a plan that he's not sure will work, so has to have a backup. If your master plan is Castrovalva, then go with that and stop fucking about with event one. Could not agree more. Yeah, solid beef. <laughs> solid. Yeah, same beef, but... Yeah. <laughs> Next beef. How can the master alter his appearance at will all of a sudden? Is that a thing now? In his Delgado days, he'd simply have worn a mask. Yeah. That's a very good point. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Solid point. Yeah. Next beef. The journey from TARDIS to Castrovalva is too long. Also, how do Tegan and Nyssa then get in? You know what? I don't know. I think I meant to ask you this. How do they get in? Do they end up... No, like they end up following the Doctor and I guess all three of them just gradually walk up an incline until they've scaled a mountain. <laughs> Yeah, they obviously went round the other way, which they didn't bother trying the first time round. Right. They, after they gave up it within five minutes. You know? Oh, yeah. Makes, that, that, that makes sense, logistically. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next beef. What are those helmets the hunters wear? They look like peanut M&Ms. They do look like peanut M&Ms. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I recognized that. <laughs> Overall, then, says Andy, it's not as good a debut as, say, Spearhead from Space. Mm. Mishmash of plots that's saved with some good directing and sets. Peter Davison does a good job, and it's good that Nissa and Tegan get plenty to do. And so, Andy awards this story 3.0. Pointless platforms that raise the master two feet for no reason out of five. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Andy. Super duper good stuff. People who are not Andy, you probably already follow him, but please, if you don't, for some reason, go and follow him. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. That's 71, the number. (laughs) Thanks very much, Andy. I've just realized I've mistaken what happened with the whole Adric in a web master coming closer to the web thing. I thought the web was coming down. Everyone else seems to be saying the master was going up. I thought the web was coming down as well. Well, okay. Now there's two against two. Yeah, exactly. Let's have a fight. Yeah, on the other hand, apparently the novelization is against us as well. So, yeah. yeah. That's a a big mark against us. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's penultimate listener mini time. Who's it from, Jim? Why is that good old Paul wearing? What up, Paul? Hello. (laughs) Hello, Paul. Castrofalva is a bit unusual as far as first stories go, in that the Doctor is out of action for much of the first two episodes. Whilst there is a plot reason for this, it feels like a strange choice to give a new Doctor less screen time, compared with Robot, where Tom Baker is raring to go from the first scene. Yeah, true. Another thing that strikes me is that this is a very different TARDIS team to the ones we have seen previously, in that it's big three companions is unusual, young, and all of the actors are fairly new to the series. Yeah, and to the the craft of acting, I would argue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Paul continues, given the limited screen time for the Doctor, the Master sort of ends up being the main character. I like the way the Portreeve is, for the most part, shot from a distance, making it less obvious than some of the Master's other disguises. The illusion disappears the first time you get a close-up of his face, but since this is just before the big reveal, it doesn't matter too much. The end for the Master, trapped in his own creation, feels like poetic justice. Mm, doesn't it just? Mm-mm. There are a few funny moments, including Adric seeming to rather enjoy being tied up in a web. <laughs> <laughs> Nissa, Nissa patronizing the explaining how the zero room works to the master and Davison's impression of the first doctor. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with all of those. Maybe not the Adric thing being funny as such. <laughs> Anywho, Paul concludes. Overall, Castrovalva has some interesting ideas, but a slow start means it doesn't really get going until the third episode. <gasps> Three out of five. Good stuff. Yeah, and I think we're on board with like pretty much everything you're putting down here, man. We are subscribed to the same magazine. <laughs> Agreement weekly. <laughs> <laughs> People who are not Paul, please do yourselves a favor. Enrich your lives by following Paul on Twitter. He can be found at P. Waring, spelled how, Jim? <laughs> Exactly as it sounds. <laughs> That's right. Where? Thanks very much, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, last up, why? It's Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. Mm-mm-mm. Michael has submitted a list of likes and a list of beefs. First, the likes. Episode 4. Holy moly, trippy Black Lodge weirdness, bait and switch twists. I genuinely did not see the Master's disguise, nor I. The sacrifices of a bunch of likable characters and the Bosch painting ending, quote unquote, yeah, right, of the Master. Hmm, yeah. A whole bunch of likes in one bullet point. Nice. Yeah, uh, which uh, leaves the next bullet point really short. It's just Castro Valvin hats, <laughs> particularly the Portreeves double hat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, go big or go home, right? That's a yeah. that's a that's a some solid headgear. <laughs> double pork pie hat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Next like. That's democracy for you. <laughs> yep. Uh, TARDIS Teletext is back. Bamboozle <laughs> quiz, please. <laughs> oh, my God. There are going to be so many UK people that are going to resonate with you referencing Bamboozle and the rest of the world going, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know what Bamboozle is, but, but I, I did look up Teletext and... What's what's the other term for this? We had this in a mini before, C-facts. actually. Yes, exactly. Yeah. C-facts. After it was referenced in a prior episode, I, I think possibly by you. Quite so, possibly. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. Agreed. A million percent. Next up, Michael starts with the boofs. First, episodes one to three. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, until they enter Castrovalva. Yawn. Oops, did I miss anything? Nope. Okay. Snore. <laughs> Next beef. What are these women doing here? Is it a holiday? <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> yep. And last beef. The master leaves nothing to chance. Um, apart from all the stuff he left to chance, resulting in him literally being torn apart by a make-believe mob. Like the dumb 500-year-old history books that were up to date and the unopenable zero box. If your futuristic ray gun didn't work, scraping the sides with a fire poker is fairly futile. We on it, see if that works. <laughs> I, I would have bought that more, actually, than the fire poker. <laughs> yeah, I did I like am. his... I, I'm sorry, I did really like his little <laughs> ray gun, though. <laughs> that sort yeah. of pokes out in a weird, slightly distended white bulb. Yeah, I thought it was very cool. <laughs> yeah. And Michael summarizes, Regeneration opener stories have a tendency to be pants, with exceptions, including, of course, the Seventh Doctor, Time and the Rani, which gets a five out of five platinum. <laughs> <laughs> which Michael's given us a footnote saying, as we creep towards the Seventh Doctor era, they have taken the liberty of designing you a new rating system, given that every McCoy story is obviously five out of five. To distinguish between the astounding from the merely truly amazing. You're welcome. And his consultancy fee of a million dollars is in the post. Wait, uh, have you posted that to yourself? Yeah, I didn't write that check. Yeah, nor Did I. You write that check? <laughs> I love it. Anyway, back to the summary. That was the footnote. Episode four drags this opener up to mediocre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he gives this a rating of 2.3 out of 5 planetary gender equality rating for Castrovalva. Way above Saudi Arabia, but still disappointing. <laughs> what activity were the women even doing in the square? Washing? Mending clothes? <laughs> yeah, beats me, man. <laughs> yeah. I think they were just poorly programmed in, in the Matrix. Like they were because this was the thing. It's like it really looked like they were washing clothes in the middle of it, and then it turns turns out that they shoved the the zero cabinet into the scene at one point. And it's yeah, just and they're like, like the tearing fabric apart and shoving it into yeah. the yeah the yeah, just, life casket. <laughs> They're performing emotion. That's it. Not a not a purpose. What's weird, actually, is that there's a little girl who shows up, and she has a speaking part, and she talks to the doctor. Yeah. It's like, but so, so help them count. Yeah. <laughs> Did the master make that happen? Is that Adric speaking to the doctor through the girl? Ah, oh, who knows? Anywho, that concludes the listener mini section. Thank you, everyone, who sent in a mini for this one. And thanks for the maxis, too. 
what have we got coming up next, Jim? Next, I think we'll be going to New Who territory with the Husbands of River Song. That's right, yes. In uh, anticipation of that one, do have a listen to our already up in the ether instant reaction review of the Husbands of River Song. Uh, I mean, we will be re-reviewing it now, but yeah, yeah, have a listen to that one as well. I will be, <laughs> as prep. Uh, after that, we're back in Classic Who territory with what, Jim? Four to Doomsday. That's right. If you would like to get in touch with us in between, before, after, whenever you like, really, you can hit us up on Twitter. Jim, you are available at... Jimmy the Who. It's just Jimmy the Who. Don't don't try and say something else. I can see you. You can... You know it out there in podcast time. You know he's trying to say some silly little thing about Jimmy the what, Jimmy the wibbly woo. But no, it's Jimmy the who. Oh, I like Jim, Jim the wibbly woo. <laughs> I just set up that second account now. So. <laughs> yeah, before, before I get to it. Um, <laughs> you can say hello to me as well. High five me online. I will high five you right back. I can be found at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Thank you for listening. This has been a blast. Peeps, stay safe. Keep wearing those masks. Keep your distance. Yeah, until the next time, rock on. Ciao. Yeah, don't go crazy yet. We've got to stick through the plan. And we'll all be out the other side soon, hopefully. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?